chapter 2. The book of 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse 18. Praise the name of the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse 18. When you got it, say so. And where the Lord says, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience towards God, our one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, on who, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. God, we love you, and we thank you for your saving grace. We thank you because you truly are amazing, you truly are all-wise, and we are grateful today for the privilege and opportunity that we have to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ to seek you, Lord God, while you may be found. And God, we thank you for your word that is holy, your word that is truth, your word that liberates us, that directs us, and that empowers us, Lord God, to live righteously. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint my lips today. Lord God, use me as a vessel to speak unto your people. God, may you anoint our hearts today and our ears that we may hear what your Spirit is saying to us. And God, above all things, may we not simply be hearers of your word, but may we be doers of your word. And when we leave this place, may we apply what we learn today in giving you glory and giving you honor. And we pray all of this in Jesus' mighty name, someone said... You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. As we continue on in the book of First Peter, our series, we are entering into an area of the book where a couple of weeks ago when we started talking about this issue of submission and us being sojourners, we realized that this is all part of the mission that God has called us to. And so here we're looking at what the apostle is communicating, and I stated this um, two weeks ago when I preached in the first portion of this submission area, and we'll deal with submission more as we go on and we deal with the submission um, next week with, with wives to husbands and talking about submission but all submission is missional all submission when God calls us to submit one to another there is a missional reason there is a purpose for that when God calls us to submit to governing authorities it is a missional purpose behind that when God calls us to submit in this sense to those who are masters over us there is a reason for that and it is not simply just so that way we can have character development I want you to get this submission is greater than just our character development submission has a greater purpose than 
than just our evangelism or just our, our, our mission. But submission brings glory and honor to God Almighty. And that is what God from the beginning created humanity for. It was to bring him glory, to give him glory, to honor him and magnify him in our time that we are here on this earth. That was the, orig the original purpose of creation and that purpose has not changed. And so when we submit, especially when it is difficult... You see, it's easy to submit when you have a real nice boss, right? Even when you have to do difficult things, it's easy to submit when they're nice and they're fair and everything is good. It's easy to do that. It's easy to submit in ministry, hallelujah, glory to God, when you have leaders that are perfect. Hallelujah. Wrong church, I guess, hallelujah. No, there's no such thing as perfect leaders, but when those leaders are like you want them to be, it's easy to submit. It's easy to submit to your husband. Glory to God, wives. I'm going to talk to you all next week. Praise the Lord Jesus. But it's easy to submit when that man is just loving, right? When he is just sensitive, when he is kind, but when he's rough and he's rude, and it, man, it ain't easy. Hello, somebody. But God is glorified on an even greater level when we're going through hardship and we choose to submit, when we choose to follow the example of Jesus, when we choose to follow in his footsteps. And here is the reality. Submission is an unpopular word in our days. Hello. Submission is not a word that is popular, especially in our culture, because we are programmed to be individuals, are we not? Well, I mean, I know this much. I know that when I, as I raise my daughter, I don't teach her to be rebellious, but I try to encourage her not to be a follower. So I teach her to be a leader. I teach her to go against what other people are doing. And what happens is that can turn the wrong way as she grows up and she decides, well, I don't agree with those things that these people that are over me are telling me that I need to do. And so it can go in the wrong direction. And so we teach our kids for the right reasons to be individuals, not to be followers. We teach them those things because there is a purpose behind it. But the fact of the matter is that we grow up and we have this mindset, well, I need to be an individual I need to be one that goes against the flow and many times the stories that we love the most are those of people who have gone against authority and proved the authorities wrong and have made a name for themselves in doing that this is the reality we love people y'all the, the ladies how many of y'all ladies were here y'all watch that movie Secretariat right yeah. right awesome movie right had y'all crying had me crying too glory to God I was crying just thinking about it. No, I'm just joking. But, but I mean, the, the movie, it, you, you, a horse got you crying, glory to God. I mean, an amazing movie. But when you look at this movie, at the, the day and the time, first of all, that woman was not supposed to be in that area leading that whole situation with this horse. Hello? You saw them folks disrespecting her, and y'all ladies were like, cheering, yes, come on, get, get it, what's up with that? Housewife, glory to God, right? And, and so, listen, the, the, the point of the matter is, that guy was a jerk, amen, hallelujah, all right? Let, let's, let's just put it like that. Those people, they were wrong in their way of thinking of women and all that type of stuff. I agree with that portion. The point of the matter is, that was the norm and the rules of society, and she did what? She rose up and did something different, and then that horse, glory to God. Well, horses, they either run fast for a short period or they run long. You know, it's one or the other. And this horse said, uh -uh, I'm going to show you all what time it is. Right? This is, uh, so uh, uh, we, we get excited because of people that rebel against the norms. I mean, we, th those are our heroes. 
And so we don't realize that those mindsets can lead us in the wrong direction when it comes to us dealing with the authorities that God has placed in our lives. And we can miss the mark. And so what am I saying? That you should never go against the flow? That you should never challenge the norms? No, I am not saying that. What I am saying is that when we are in situations that seem unfair, that seem difficult, we need to recognize what are the established laws. Not simply, well, men think women are like this. No, no, no. What does the Bible say? What does the law communicate? Because those are areas in which we shouldn't be challenging and going against unless those things cause us to directly violate the word of God this is what scripture teaches us and whether or not we like the topic of submission the Bible clearly commands it and God expects it of us as a response to him and to his delegated authority and usually usually when we have an issue with God's delegate well no not usually but whenever we excuse me we have an issue with God's delegated authority when I talk about delegated authority let me just break this down for some of you that may not understand that term and not because I'm trying to say you're dumb but you may not understand exactly what I mean here. God is ultimate authority. God is reigning ruler, sovereign God. He is the one who is supreme in authority. But what he does is he shares his authority with his delegates, with those whom he has chosen to positions like we talked about in government. He is he, The Bible says that all authority is established by God. Therefore, he delegates that authority. A, a, a delegated authority is also the elders, the pastors, the leadership in the church. Those are God's delegates delegated authorities within the church sense. Police officers, those type of people are God's delegated authorities. Fathers, hello somebody, are delegated authorities. Husbands, mothers, they are delegated authorities. And so what happens is whenever we have an issue with God's delegated authority, according to scripture, we have an issue with God himself. Does that mean that delegated authority is perfect? Nope, does not. Does it mean that they're never going to fail, that they're never going to fall, that they're never going to have issues? That, that, that is not what it means. But what the scriptures teach is that God is the one who is dealing with those authorities. And so your responsibility is not to play God in their lives. Your responsibility is to reflect Jesus before them so that way God can get a hold of them and bring change to their hearts. That is our job as Christians is not to take situations into our own hands that we should not be taking, but we should trust God Almighty to be in control and to do what he can do and what he wills to do. And in some situations, as we'll see, his will is for you to reflect his glory while this leader is being harsh and ridiculous and crooked. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes those are the situations that we have. A lot of times the who the person is or how that person is, is simply, hear what I'm saying, the way that we look at them, sometimes who they are because we don't like them for whatever the reason is or because of how they are, because of the way that they manage, because of the way that they lead, because of the way that they command, because of the way that they direct or the lack thereof, because of those things, we use those as justifications to say, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm not going to do it that way because maybe they don't do it well enough. But here's the thing that we realize. Please repeat this after me. Submission is a true reflection of our understanding of who we are serving. Let me say this again. Submission is a true reflection of our understanding of who we are serving. 
When we are unwilling to submit to a situation, when we are unwilling to submit, and it is not submitting to sin, but we are unwilling to submit in a circumstance, that is difficult, that is, that is hard. What happens is we are really not understanding who it is we are really submitting to. Because the one we are submitting to, and you can write the scripture down, you write it down. It's the book of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. The apostle Paul, this is Peter, the apostle Peter speaking on this whole issue of servants and slaves. But the apostle Paul speaks on it as well. And when he speaks about it, he says, when you serve, you are bond servants to Christ. All of your service is unto Christ. And so we realize, who are we serving when we're serving? It's not that we are just serving man. We are serving God Almighty through that person. This is what the scriptures teach us. But we forget who we're serving. And so what is submission? I didn't get into this definition two weeks ago, but I'll get into it today. Submission is primarily an attitude or a disposition. And what it means is it means to arrange under. It means to subordinate. It means to subject or put in subjection. It means to subject oneself, to obey, to submit to one's control. It means to yield to one's admonition or advice or to obey. It means to be subject to. Additional information, when you look at this word, it, it comes, it has, a, it has two meanings. It has a military meaning and it has a non-military meaning. When you look at the word in a military sense, it means to arrange troops and divisions in a military fashion under the command of a leader. And so what it is is that you align these troops and you say, this is going to be the leader over these people. And you align, you follow, you obey, and you listen to this leader. That's what it means in a military sense. In a non-military use, what it means is this. It means a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. Now let me ask you a question. In, in reading this text, do you hear anything about the military? Um, this is not a trick question. The answer is no. You don't hear anything about military. Why do I ask you that question? Because that will determine to us how we're supposed to apply the scripture. Are we supposed to look at it from military sense or non-military sense? Say non-military. So we look at the, the issue of submission in the non-military sense in the practical application. You can look at it in a military sense as you submitting unto God as one of his laborers, as one of his soldiers in his army. You can look at it from that perspective. But when it's talking about the natural, he is, he is using it in a non-military sense. So what does that word mean? It means a voluntary attitude of giving in, not giving up. See, we mistake giving in with giving up. We say, well, I'm just giving in. No, you didn't. You just gave up. You're not, you're not serving with all of your heart because you have given up. And I'll give you a personal example. Before I became a youth pastor, I, there, was a, there, there was a youth pastor in the church. And I think I've shared this before. And if, and if I have, then, you know, just bear with me. And if, I, if you never heard it before, I hope you enjoy this. Um, but what happens is, before I became the youth pastor, there was, there was a particular man who was a youth pastor in the church, and I didn't agree with his way of doing youth ministry. I didn't, I didn't really see how, you know, it was, it was right or the most effective for the type of church we were in, and so on and so forth. And I was very immature, and I was very ignorant to certain things, things that I, would, that, that I said then I would never say today because God has shown me so many different things. But nonetheless, I was in this situation so that way God could teach me some good lessons. And one of the lessons is this. This, I remember that we used to have leaders meetings like once a month and we would get together and we would open up scripture and we would look at the Bible and, you know, talk about youth ministry and ideas and all of this. And, and in, in the beginning, I had like a thousand ideas. I was like, well, we can do this and we can do that. And, and I gave him all these ideas and he would never do any of them, never do any of them. And I came to a place where I was like, you know what? 
I ain't going to give no more ideas in this thing. Now, was I giving in or was I giving up? I was giving up. I, I, I was not going to be faithful with what God was putting in my heart. The next part of the word, it means to voluntarily give in, right? But it also means cooperating. Co means together, doesn't it? It means to operate together. The problem with us is that we want to be the leader. The issue is we don't want to give 100% if we're not the one leading. Why? You want to know why? Because you're prideful. Because you don't want to admit it, but it really is all about you. You you don't want to admit it, but you don't want to cooperate and work together. And you know what? He may not have done any of the ideas that I had. Glory to God. That still didn't give me a right. I need to find out, okay, you don't want to do my ideas. What are your ideas so we can do them? Hello. I I, I need to figure out how we can do this together. And and, and there were moments, I have to give God glory, because there were moments throughout this process in my life that I got it, and I was like, you know what, regardless, pray, intercede, what he's entrusted you with, do it to the best of your ability. And so when we talk about submission, we are voluntarily having an attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility. Again, we have someone over us, we don't agree with them, we don't like what they're saying, we don't like what they're communicating, and so we give up, we don't cooperate, and we definitely don't assume responsibility. We do the bare minimum to get by. Can I ask you a question? Is that helping wherever you're at? Is that helping the cause of whatever, if it's in church? Because let me, let, me, let, me, let me explain this here. The, the apostle Peter here, and I, well, let me say this, this last portion of it. It means to carry a burden. So when you submit, what you are doing is you go from the place of being a burden to carrying a burden. Oh, let me say that again. Glory to God. When you submit, when you get the right attitude, you go from the place of being a burden. In other words, you go from the place of being a pain in the behind. You go from the place of being a headache. You go from the place of being a problem to being a solution. You go from that place to where you are no longer a burden. You are no longer adding to the burden and to the weight of whatever the situation is, but you are becoming a blessing, and you are one who carries the burden with the other people that are serving with you. That is what it means to be submissive. In any context. And the reason why this is important is because the last time I preached, we talked about submission to government. This time I'm preaching, we're talking about this level of submission. Next week, we'll talk about wives. And wives, I might reiterate this just for a reminder. But I want you to understand this, that God is not saying that you are just that you are not important, that you have no type of position, that you have no type of authority, that you have no type of responsibility. That is incorrect. We get the wrong mindset. And so what God wants us to understand is that being able to carry a burden, being able to be responsible and cooperating and giving in is the right way to have the attitude of submission that Peter is telling us to have here. Peter is speaking directly. Who's he talking to? We need to know his audience. He is speaking to slaves. He is speaking to house slaves or servants in a house. And when you look at that, obviously, I don't think anybody in here would fall into that category directly. Nobody in here is a slave. Nobody in here is serving in a house in that, in that sense. And so you wouldn't fall into that category. So the question is, how does this apply to me? This would apply to you in two ways. It would apply to you in your regular employment, and it would apply to you in your volunteer, in, in your volunteer services. 
whenever you are volunteering your time, whether it's in a, a shelter, whether it's in a soup kitchen, whether it's in a, a place that helps homeless people, whether it is in church, whatever it is. I really don't like the word volunteer, but ultimately, that's what you're doing. You're giving up your time. You're saying, here's my time, here's my talent, and I'm giving it to you. I'm not going to get paid anything for this. I'm going to serve Jesus with all of my heart. And so that's what's supposed to happen within a church setting. Now, here's the difference. The difference is this, that the slave had to be set free. You as an employee or a person who volunteers, you make the choice. Do you want to stay there or not? You make the decision, do you want to stay there? Do you want to continue serving? Do you want to continue to work in this place? Are you going to seek outside employment? Or are you going to leave the position and go serve somewhere else? Those are the choices that you make. And ultimately, here's the, here's the bottom line. The bottom line is that whether you seek other employment, whether you seek another place to serve, it is still your responsibility as long as you are there to walk in submission. Don't think, well, you know what, I'm in this job, I can't stand these people around me, I can't stand the people that are over me, and so you know what, I'm going to do just a horrible job until I find something else. That's not a Christian attitude. That's not the right heart, that's not the, not, that's not the right mindset, and you're going to leave a bad testimony for Christians that are going to come in there after you. Hello. And you make it harder for us to witness to them. Hello, somebody. Because while you may think that they deserve a part in the lake of fire, Jesus died for their deliverance. Amen. Hallelujah. And so ultimately, we have to have this right mindset. And so let's read together here, verse 18. He says, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. In other words, you submit with a reverence, with an honor and a respect for those who are over you. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Now, here's what I want you to understand is that he's, there's, there's two types of leaders that you're going to have. You're going to have the ones that are good and that are gentle, that are sensitive, and then you're going to have the ones that are harsh. You know what that word harsh means? It means crooked. It comes from the Greek word scoliosis, where we get scoliosis, when a person's spine is crooked, right? And so ultimately, what we understand is that there are some folks that are going to be in leadership over your life. They're crooked. Hello. And look what he says. <laughs> he says this. I, I, I'm, I'm just repeating what he said. He said, do all that he did. Be submissive to them with all fear, not only to the good, but also to the harsh. He said, for this is commendable. This is grace. If because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongly. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. And so what happens is when you walk in this, with this mindset and you walk within this heart, this is when you begin to experience the grace of God in a greater level in your life. It is in this place when you decide, when I decide that I'm going to walk in submission in difficult situations, that the grace of God is manifesting. And the fact that you're able to do this is proof that the grace of God is manifesting in your life. Amen? Our conscience towards God, the first point is that submission is a true reflection of our understanding of who we're serving. And our conscience of who we serve must always be guarded. You must never lose sight of who you are serving. I must never lose sight of who I'm serving. The moment that I start to put my eyes on the leaders and I take them off of God, problems are going to arise. 
The moment that I start looking at him, at her, at them, at at whatever, the moment that I start focusing there, it is not that I don't look there because here's what I want you to give. This is my heart as a leader. I don't know about any other person on the planet that leads. I know the leadership here. We discuss frequently. We want to hear where we can get better. It doesn't mean that you need to be a nag and you need to be Mr. or Mrs. Negative all over the place. That's not what we want, okay? That is not what we need. But what we do want to do is we do want to grow as leaders. We want to grow in those areas. And so you as a person who is not in a leadership role, you have eyes. You see things that leaders don't always see. And so it is important to us that you communicate those things in a respectful and honorable way so that way we can assess what you're saying, evaluate what you're saying, and see where and if that applies. Amen? And so you don't give up. You give in. You assume responsibility. You cooperate. You walk together in this. And you keep your eyes focused on who? On Jesus. On the author and the finisher of your faith. On the one whom you are really in connection with and who you are really serving in, 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 in the fullness of what you're doing as a person in a role, in a, in a job situation, or in a volunteer servant position in a church or in some place that you're volunteering your time. The second thing, please repeat this after me, submission is the expected response to our calling of partnership with Christ in suffering. Look at verse 21 with me. It says, for to this you were called. You should underline that. You should highlight that because that's an important thing when God is directly saying that you were called to something, that this is a good indication and a good sign. And he goes on to say, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his footsteps. Peter boldly declares this. He doesn't doesn't stutter when he communicates this. He boldly declares suffering, hardship as a part of our calling in Christ. Everybody in this place, listen, I would love to tell you that from this day forward, everything in your life is going to be perfect. I wish I could tell you that. I wish I could tell you that when you give your life to Jesus and you walk with him, that you are never going to have another hardship in life. But I would be lying to you and I would be a false prophet and a false teacher because that is not what the whole counsel of Scripture declares. Jesus makes it abundantly clear. He says, plain, plain and simple, if you choose to follow me, you need to take up your cross. Is that not what he says? Do you think that it was painful, it was difficult to carry a cross? Most definitely it was hard. He said, are you going to follow me? You're going to have to do that. And so what Peter says here, he says, to this you were called because Christ also suffered. Now, here's what I want you to get, though. Not all of you are going to suffer under a crooked, perverse, and wicked leadership. Hello. Did you hear that? Some of you are not going to su- Some of you are going to have great bosses that are going to be good and they're going to be kind. Some of you are bosses and you own your own companies, so you don't have those people that are over you. Some of you are in those positions, and so it's important for you if you are one of those people that you are good and not harsh. Amen? It's important that you are leading by example, right? It's important that you are showing your employees the love of Christ. You are showing them the character of God. But others of us, we are going to go through some difficult leadership. We are going to go through that, and you know what God says? This is how you know if you're called to it. If you're there, you're called to it. Amen? Y'all ain't saying nothing. If you're there, you're called to it. Let me say it again. If you are there, this is is discernment 101, okay? If you are there, if you are in that situation, then you are called to it. 
Y'all got it. See, I felt that. I was like, yes, the lights went off. Glory to God. If that is where you are, God, we, we believe that God is sovereign, right? Is that, that's what we believe? We believe that God orders the steps of the righteous. That's what we say. That's what the book of Proverbs teaches. We believe that God, according to the book of Psalms, that he delights in the steps of a good man. He orders their steps. And so if we are there, then we're called to it. If we're going through difficulty with our bosses, if we're, going to diff, if, if we're in a situation and leadership changes over us and we're there, then God must have a reason. He must have, he wants to bring glory and honor to his name through the hardship, through the difficulty that you're going through. Now, mind you, I, I want to I balance this out. This is not saying that you should stay there in an abusive situation forever. Amen? God is not a child abuser either. And so God doesn't want you to sit there and be abused and beaten and, and just going through the ups and downs forever. There may be a season for those things. But we need to recognize that if we're there right at this moment, then God has us there for a reason. And we need to bring glory and honor to it. He says in this verse, look at it with me in verse 21. He says, for to this you were called because Christ also. That word also is a word indicating, indicating partnership. Jesus suffered also. He also suffered. The suffering that he endured, he endured to be an example for us. He left us an example. That word example, when the apostle Peter is speaking of this word, this is a word that has to do with teaching children in like lower school. It would be teaching kids in elementary school, teaching them the ABCs. What this word means is it means a writing under. That's what, that's what, that, that's what this word literally means. It's a writing under. And what they would do is the teachers would write the alphabet in a way so that way the kids could put paper over it and they could trace the letters and they could learn how to write those letters the teachers would do that and so what God is saying here through the apostle Peter is that this is what is occurring what is happening is you and I are students and what God did in Jesus Christ in one sense is he left us this example just like children have to learn their ABCs in order to communicate in written language so we as Christians need to learn how to endure hardship with a submitted attitude how to endure difficulty with a submitted attitude so that way our lives will clearly communicate effectively the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus suffered and when we suffer, when we go through hardship and we continue with a submitted heart, we continue honoring and glorifying God, we continue with the right mindset, what we do is we speak the gospel clearly. We communicate what is written in the scriptures and we show it. And then when people ask us, how do we endure this? How do we go through this? You know what our answer is? Jesus did. It opens up those doors. It first and foremost brings glory to God. And then as we bring him glory, opportunities of evangelism open up. But if you're a person who does not submit, if you're a person who has the wrong attitude, you're a person who has the wrong mindset, you know what happens? God is not glorified in your life. Doors of evangelism are closed, and you as a Christian are not going to be fruitful. It's important that we have the right mindset and that we understand that Jesus suffered in our place. The third thing, please repeat this after me, submission is a reflection of our gratefulness, of our salvation. Continue reading, please, in verse 22. It says this, it says, who committed no sin, this is speaking of Jesus, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. 
who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your faith. Jesus is so much more than just an example of how to suffer well. Amen? This this, this is extremely important for us to get. Jesus was the standard. He was the example for sure. But he was also our substitute. Jesus was also a sacrifice for us. It's funny because when you look at the Old Testament, you find that the sheep died for the shepherds. The sheep died so the way the shepherds could live. When you come to the cross, the shepherd dies so the sheep can live. The shepherd takes the position of the sheep, dies in their place so the way they can have life. Jesus is more than just an example of how to suffer, but he is a constant reminder of what our sin did to him. For those of us who are Christian, and it's amazing because when you think about this, Peter's writing to the church. And a lot of people, they don't want to hear about their sins. They don't want to hear about where they fall short. They don't want to hear about how they fail. They don't want to do any of that. But you know what Peter does? Peter makes sure in the second chapter of the book, he's like, look, let me break this down really clearly. Jesus died for your sins. Don't look over there. Look at you. Yeah, I know they're sinners. I know they're wrong, but he died for your sins. I know, I, I know you feel that they sin more than you, but he died for your sins that are less than theirs. Mm-hmm. Christian, we, we, we don't want to hear about our sin. We want to be okay. Hold on a second. We need to be reminded of this, especially when we're going through hardship and we're going through difficulty, that Jesus died for our sins. He suffered in our place. Jesus is, and, and, and then he is a, a reminder, this is a constant reminder for those, for, for those of us who are Christian. And then for those of you that may not be Christian, for those of you who have not accepted the gift of salvation that Jesus offers, it should be an eye-opener to them as well. It should be an eye-opener to you for you to see, wait a second, this is what Jesus did. And so what did he do? When we talk about the gospel and we talk about being gospel-centered people, it is really understanding clearly what happened on that cross. It is understanding that every one of us that is sitting in this place, we are all guilty as lawbreakers. This is what it means. A lot of times we think about sin, and I, and I was reading a book. It's called Whatever Happened to the Gospel, speaking of preaching. And one of the things that he, that, that he uses as an analogy, he said when we talk about sin, sometimes people can't relate the two, you know, to sin and them doing wrong. But here's what you need to realize. If you and I think about what sin is, what sin is, it is breaking the law. So what that means is when you say that I'm a sinner or I say that I'm a sinner, what I'm saying is I am a criminal. I am someone who is guilty of breaking the law. That is a criminal. In our day and age, that is a criminal. And you know what? That In, in, the, in, in the vernacular or in the way that they spoke in those days, you know what a sinner was? A criminal. It was someone who was a lawbreaker. And so what happens is every person walking the planet is a sinner. Every person walking the earth has sinned and has violated the commandments of God, has violated what God declares to be the way that we're supposed to live. Everybody's guilty. And Peter makes it clear. He says it here in verse 24. Look at it. He says, who himself, speaking of Jesus, bore our sins in his own body upon the tree. So all of us being guilty, we can do nothing. Here's the thing. We're criminals, we're guilty, and so what does that mean? 
That means that we are going to have to pay for our sins some way, shape, or form. And here's the problem. The problem is this, is that sin separates us from God for eternity. If, if, if I am a person who is guilty of these crimes against God, breaking his commandments, disobeying what his word says, if I am that person, then I have to pay for those sins. Those sins got to be paid for. Because what? Because God is good. Amen? God is loving. That doesn't sound good, Bishop. Yes, it is good. God is a good God. He is a loving God. I was sharing with you on Wednesday night about the lady that I was amazed at God's grace. And when we went to California, we were on vacation, I was able to have a conversation about God and the gospel. And I was able to share with a woman who is from Seattle. Glory to God. She's from Seattle. I'm from Florida. We end up on a bus in California together to have a conversation about Jesus. God is amazing, is he not? I get over there in this conversation, and she begins to talk to me. And as we're having this conversation, one of the biggest issues that she had is, is she couldn't get with Jesus being the only way to salvation. She was like, how can that be? What about all of these well-intentioned people? That means that God is like up there with a club ready to beat somebody down. And I said, no, that is wrong. Jesus Christ came to the earth because man cannot save themselves. Jesus Christ came to the earth to pay the price that you couldn't pay, that I couldn't pay. Jesus Christ came and he died. He showed the greatest, the greatest demonstration of love. He gave that. He said, I am going to pay this price that you will never pay, and I'm going to separate, I'm going to remove the separation that there is between me and you. That's what Jesus did. Does that sound like a God that's up there with a club ready to, ready to whack you over the head? No, that sounds like a God who realizes that, you know what, they can't save themselves. And because I'm good and because I'm loving, I have to punish sin. And so what I would do is I would take the sin upon myself. And so God realizes we're all sinners and we are all separated from him because of our sin. And he realizes that there is nothing that we can do. That's the bad news, amen? The good news is that he bore our sins, that he carried our sins to the cross. He took our sins to the cross, and he paid this glorious and wonderful price for us so that way we would not no longer be guilty before God. He goes on to say in verse 24, he said, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. And so all of us are guilty. We can do nothing to gain forgiveness or pardon, but Jesus carries all of our sins. That's our sins of commission. That's our sins of omission. The sins of commission, the things that we do that are blatantly against God. Every time that you lie, I know you think it's just a little white lie. It is a lie. And that little white lie put Jesus on the cross the same way that child molestation put Jesus on the cross cross. I know you don't equate the two and you think, oh, a little white lion, child molester, both of them nailed Jesus to the cross. Those are sins of commission. Your sins of omission, it's when you know what you should do and you don't do it. When you know what you should do and you don't do it, those things that you ignore to do, those things that you don't do, he died for those things, took all of those things to the cross, and he died in our place. And so what does he say? He said, and we have died to sin. Hallelujah. What does that mean? That means that we benefit from his death because we identify with that death. You know what he says? He says, when Jesus died on the cross, 
and he bore our sins. He died for us. You know what happened to us? We identify with that death. And when we come to Jesus and we repent of our sins and we turn away from our sin, what happens to our sin is we die on that cross with him and now we have a new life. We now have a new life because of what he did, because of what Jesus did. We couldn't do it for ourselves. No longer do we live in sin. This is the beauty of this, is that no longer do we live in sin. No longer are we bound by sin. No longer are we powerless against the desires of sin that will rise up in our lives. Hear what I'm saying. You have died with Christ, and there are going to be moments that your flesh rises up. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, you and I have the authority to overcome that sin. And you know what is even so much more awesome, too, is that even in those moments that we don't take God's strength and God's grace to overcome sin, God is faithful that if we confess our sin, that he will forgive us of all unrighteousness and he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. This is what he declares to us in his word. He says that he died in our place and now we live a different life. He goes on in the, in, in the latter portion of that verse and he said that, that he, he died, having died to sins, might live for righteousness so that way we could live a life that brings glory to God, not because of our own abilities, but because of his grace. And he says, by whose stripes you were healed. By whose stripes you were healed. What sickness is he talking about here? What sickness? He he, he he like transitioned on us, didn't he? He talked about healing. Nowhere in the scripture is he talking about any physical sickness. He doesn't mention any physical sickness. It is because every one of us has the same disease and it is called sin. Every one of us has the same disease that Jesus died on the cross for. And so he says, by his stripes, because of what he did, we are healed. Because of what the price that Jesus paid, we have a new mind. We have a new heart. We have this mind of Christ. We have a heart that was once stone that is now flesh. We are now given new desires because of what? Because Jesus healed us on the cross. And lastly, he says in verse 25, he says, for you were like sheep going astray but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Like sheep who are always wandering away, and sheep just do that. They're always looking to see if the grass is greener over here, always trying to get away from the flock. That's the reason why they need a shepherd. They're always trying to go and do something else, and they're, always, they're wandering, and if the shepherd doesn't pay attention to them, they'll get lost and they'll get killed. Hello. That's what will happen. Because they have no defense mechanisms, they, they, they will be devoured. That's the reason why the Bible says, and we'll get into that a little bit later in our First Peter series, but that's why the scripture says that the enemy roams around like a roaring lion seeking who he, whom, whom he may devour. Who is he going to devour? The sheep that is over there by themselves doing their own thing. Hello? Listen, let, 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 let me say it like this. Just being around brothers and sisters in Christ is a good thing. Amen? Just being in fellowship with them. I mean, just have, you're, you're connected, all right? You're around people that are praying for you and with you. You're not by yourself with your thoughts. You're not doing your own thing, but you are able. But all of us, like sheep, were going astray. Every one of us was going astray. We were either doing just blatant, outlandish sin, or we were living like we were living in our own righteousness. See, because some of us, we're like, man, I don't have this history of horrible sin, but you know what you were doing? You were depending on your own righteousness. You were worshiping yourself rather than worshiping God. 
You were moralists who thought that you were okay because you were good enough. No, no one is good enough. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us were going astray. And God offers us this wonderful thing. All of us by nature are, 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 are sinful, but we are offered salvation, pardon of sins. What is salvation? It means that we are offered this forgiveness. We are offered forgiveness because of what Jesus did on the cross. And not only are we offered forgiveness, but we are offered a relationship with God that is called eternal life. Eternal life is to know God. It's not just something that we're looking forward to. It's something we experience now. It is something we experience today. It is something that he wants us to know every day, growing with him, learning who he is, getting to know him better, experiencing his grace in our lives. This is what the Apostle Peter says. This is the reason why we are able to submit is because we are grateful for our salvation. This is the reason we are able to endure hardship because we are grateful for our salvation. This is the reason why we are able to go against our own tendency to fight and to and, and, and to defend ourselves and to deal with things our way because we recognize and we honor God for what he did in our lives. Amen? In closing, we will look at verse 23. And it says this. It says, Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return? And so when they were just talking bad and speaking negatively about Jesus, he didn't speak negatively in return. He didn't revile in return. This should be the mindset of a Christian. And when they're talking bad about you, think about it. What do you do? Do you talk bad back? Do you jump to defend yourself right away? Listen, there's two ways that we deal with hard situations. It's usually fight or flight. It's one of the two. You are either going to fight, and what I mean by fight is you're going to defend yourself, you're going to open your mouth. That's usually the position I take. That's just the way that I am. I'm going to fight. I don't, I, don't, I don't run. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to fight. I'm going to defend myself. I'm going to tell you where you're wrong. I'm going to point out all the things that you're incorrect on. That's where I am. Maybe that's how you are. That's when, like they say, the lawyer rises up inside of us. Right? Or you're the other person. You're the other person. You just run. You don't fight. You, you, you endure it. You endure it. You endure it until you can't anymore, and then you run in another direction. Jesus didn't do any of the above. The scripture says that Jesus did something else. It says when he suffered, he didn't threaten. When he was going through hardship, he didn't start threatening people and said, hey, man, I could call them angels down from heaven. You better slow down. That isn't what he said. Peter chopped someone's ear off, trying to cut off their head. Jesus fixes the ear and is like, look, man, I got this. I didn't call you to do that. But he goes on and he says this. He says, he did not threaten, but he committed, and in some of your translations, you'll see that himself, that word there, is italicized. And what that means is that that word himself is not in the original. They put it there for clarity. But here's what it says, but committed to him who judges righteously. He committed everything. This is what Jesus did. Jesus committed those people who were reviling him unto the righteous judge. Jesus committed those people who were treating him harshly to the righteous judge. He committed himself to the righteous judge. He said, you know what, God? You're in control. You are the judge. You are righteous. You're a good God. You're a good father. Your will is better than mine. Your plans are better than mine. Your ways are higher than mine. Your understanding is more vast than mine. Your wisdom is beyond the wisdom that I have. 
And so I entrust my life, my hardship, those who hurt me, those who ill-treat me, those who do things wrong. I entrust all of that to you. I entrust all of it to you because you are the judge. And so rather than me trying to take it into my own hands and fight to defend myself, I'll submit myself to you. Rather than me flee and try to find a better situation, I submit to you. That's what he said in all of life. So the question is this, have you committed all of yourself, all of your life, all of your situations under the righteous judge? Because you know what Jesus understood? He, he, he understood that everyone is going to stand before the righteous judge. And that's something that everybody in this place needs to understand. Whether you're a Christian or not, you need to understand we will all stand before this righteous judge. And the question is, when you stand before him, what are you going to boast about? Are you going to boast about what Jesus did? Or are you going to boast about how good you are? You're going to talk about how unfair people were, and are you going to justify yourself? Or are you going to say there's only one justification, and that's Jesus Christ? So I'll bow our heads. Stand to our feet, please. Today, Jesus offers salvation to every person that is in this place. Some of you, you're walking with Jesus, so that means that you're praying right now. And others in this place, you may not be. But he's a righteous judge. He's a loving judge. And he came and he died in your place and in my place. Hallelujah, God. We worship you. Every eye closed and every head bowed. And if you're in this place and you say, God, I have not. I have not put my faith in you, Jesus. I have not committed my whole being in all of the situations of my life unto you. If you say that and you recognize that today, and what the Bible calls you to do is to put your faith in Jesus. To trust him with your life. that's you in this place, I want to see you lift up your hand before the Lord because I want to pray with you. Hallelujah. I see the hand. I see the hand. Glory to God. I see the hand. Praise the name of Jesus. Glory to his name. I see the hands. Praise the name of the Lord. I'm going to ask everyone to join hands and I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me, please. Your voice is lifted. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son I thank you for coming in the form of a man to die in my place I recognize that what the word of God says about you is true Jesus and I thank you for the offer of salvation that you give to me today I ask you to help me walk with you from this day forward. Help me to deny myself, to turn from sin, and to honor you in all areas. 
Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to obey you even when it costs. Holy Spirit, I ask you to fill each and every person in this place afresh. Holy Spirit, I pray for those who prayed this prayer for the first time, Lord God. It is not a prayer that saves them, but God, it is their faith in you. It is your finished work on the cross, Jesus. And I pray that you would help them to grow, help them to walk, help them to live lives that bring you glory and bring you honor. And God, I just surrender all of this unto you and ask you to be glorified. And may our lives bear much fruit for your kingdom and for your glory. We give you honor and praise. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Give God a hand of praise.